Wellness Force Radio. Feelings are essential, but they can't dictate our actions. We literally infect each other with our emotions. We came here for a special purpose. Let the purpose unveil itself. Knowing without doing is the same thing as not knowing. They're not just trackers. I'm going to wear this and it's going to help me do the right thing. Wellness Force Radio, episode 130 with Dr. Jason McEwen and Tom Bilyeu. The key area in all of this is very central in your brain. It's called your hypothalamus. It is like a control center. It controls your fat storage, but it does that by you know maintaining, say, your metabolism and your appetite, and then also all your sort of endocrines and your hormone response. That entire process is derived from your hypothalamus wanting you to have a certain amount of body fat. That's the fundamental problem that we are trying to tackle. It really is all about an ecosystem. Like it's changes in all areas of your life and using technology as one part of a much broader change that we hope people will make. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. In this podcast, we're revealing the neuroscience of fat loss with Dr. Jason McEwen for his first time on the show and Tom Bilyeu returning from episode 98. We're exploring the neuroscience of fat loss and how this new device, Modius, a wellness technology weight loss device from Neurovalence, is helping to reduce body fat for people and increase wellness through the activation of the vestibular nerve. Now, this nerve, it's on the back of your ear, and it helps to regulate the hypothalamus. Now, as you'll learn on the show today from Dr. McEwen, he talks about the appetite signaling that happens. This modulation of a small amount of voltage that goes into that nerve, it'll actually tell the body that it's safe to let go of weight, that it's safe to let go of this extra energy, these lipid stores that we've been carrying around. Modius activates the parts of our brain that dictates how our system holds on to fat. It creates a sensation in the mind of physical activity, which then shifts our metabolism. Dr. McEwen can explain it so much more intelligently than me. Now, you're also going to learn why Tom Bilyeu has invested and has partnered with this company, especially with Tom's focus on ending poverty of the mind. I know you're going to enjoy this show where we dive into how fat loss is controlled through the vestibular nerve. Why Jason took a personal path that led him to study this vestibular stimulation, how the hypothalamus helps to control our level of body fat, the relation between the vagus and vestibular nerves. And you'll listen to me play devil's advocate, really challenging both Tom and Dr. McEwen about our dependency with this tech. As we know, exponential technologies are here and we do not want to become addicted. So we really dive into how this is not an addictive device and really it's a device that supports our better wellness. Let's step in to this intriguing and exciting conversation with Tom Bilyeu and Dr. Jason McEwen. On this episode, I am super pumped. Been looking forward to this interview for weeks. We're talking with return guest Tom Bilyeu and for his first time on the show, Dr. Jason McEwen about fat loss and the vestibular nerve activation. We're exploring this relationship of the hypothalamus connection to appetite control, vagal tone, why a breakthrough device called Modius by Neurovalens may be changing the landscape of how the medical fitness and wellness community will approach obesity for the future. Tom, Jason, welcome, guys. Thanks for having us on, man. So I was fortunate to make the trip to L.A. to Tom and Jason welcoming me into the Impact Theory studio. By the way, I don't think people know this, Tom. You have a studio in your home. When did that actually occur? <laughs> uh, we built that out for a January 4 launch. So I don't remember the date that we actually finished it, but uh, it was sometime uh, just before the new year. It is incredible. There's a huge boom in your living room, but I got to take this deeper dive with the entire panel, Dr. Renee Duo, who we had on the show, the founder of Heal, Dr. Drew Pinsky, which was so fun, you guys, to meet him because I used to listen to him and Adam Carolla on Loveline on my tape deck in La Mesa as a teenager. So that was such a fun moment. What was fascinating, though, was this groundswell of demand for this device from Indiegogo and the entire wellness community globally. We're now seeing this open mind towards wellness technology and how it can essentially empower the human spirit and empower humanity to live life well. So Tom, the Wellness Force community already knows you from episode 98. Before we give Jason a moment to introduce himself and what he's doing for wellness, I'd love to start off the show today by Tom having you share how you met Jason and why do you believe the time is right for integrating wellness and tech together? The way that we met is one of my all-time favorite stories. So I am absolutely obsessed with the brain, as I'm sure came across in uh, our first time together. 
And I really wanted to get this guy on the show. His name is Dr. V.S. Ramachandran. He is the guy through books. I'd never met him, but through books had taught me more about the brain than anybody else and just has this incredibly accessible style of making the very complex, very easy to understand. And he's one of the most revered names in neuroscience. And finally, after literally like a year of trying to get him on the show, he came on the show and we just really hit it off. And he was one of those guys that as I'm doing the interview, I'm like a giddy little kid. I'm like inside freaking out <laughs> that, you know, I'm getting a chance to to meet literally one of my heroes. And this isn't, you know, I mean, not maybe your typical hero for an entrepreneur, but certainly very real for me. And at the end of the episode, he was like, you actually really understand neuroscience and I mean, from a layman's perspective, don't let me oversell uh, his, you know, his kind words, but from a layman's perspective, he could see that I had a genuine appreciation for neuroscience that I'd, I'd put in some hours. And he said, you know, one of my now colleagues and former students is starting this company. And I think that you could be a really interesting addition to the team because of your background as an entrepreneur and your familiarity with neuroscience. So you should reach out to him and you never know what's going to happen. And then the bromance began pushing this incredible message for how long now? Has it been nine months or 12 months where this actually came to fruition before the launch? How long was this process in getting the launch out there? They had been pursuing me for about six months. Jason, I think that's about right. And I just kept putting them off, if I'm honest, because of some very key things needed to align for me to feel good about moving forward with them. My reasoning is this. I'm very relation or reputation protective. Like the last thing I want to do is come out and make some, you know, big stand about how this device is going to change everything. And then it doesn't. And I just look like a hype man trying to make some money. So I needed to make sure that they weren't like that as well, that they were really scientists who really wanted real answers, that they were more than prepared to dive into this only to find out that it didn't actually work. And I needed that not to be on a handshake, but contractually. Yeah. And so they did everything that I asked from a contract perspective. And the more time that I spent with them, the more I realized that actually is very true of them. And look, you're, I've done enough interviews with Jason now to know, like, he will come across so even keel in this interview. Like he does not hype things. He's a scientist at his core. He really wants the answers. Uh, he thinks he has something that can help. And yeah, so he's bringing it to the world. Really, really love that about him. We'll link in the show notes to V.S. Ramachandran's Phantom Limb video. So fascinating how people coming back from you know war actually feel as if they've lost a limb, but the limb is still there. And how, Jason, you came to be this youngest ever visiting scholar to be invited to study neuroscience under Professor Ramachandran. Can you tell us about that? And what is the core mission of Modius? Yeah, I think possibly the the story behind how I became the youngest visiting scholar is a, probably a little underwhelming. At the time, I was actually working in neurosurgery in the UK with another visiting scholar of V.S. Ramachandran, or Rama, as we call him, and uh, they had just finished doing a thesis on vestibular stimulation. And at that time, I mean, I was just really interested in it. I just understood the neuroscience of it. I was really, really keen to be involved. And I also had, you know, just a real passion for electronics and technology. So uh, whenever I I sort of understood the potential, you could actually stimulate the nerve non-invasively. I'd say we just arranged a call. And after just one really in-depth phone call with Rama, he was like, look, I'd love to have you over. So he he set it up. And, you know, within like a month or whatever, I was like in Southern California in his lab studying the stimulus stimulation. It was just, it's unreal, you know, to be part of that team. And then, you know, cutting the story really short, what, what we decided to do with Modius then was whenever we realized the application of, of the technology, you know, we really believe this can help a lot of people. We wanted then to set up a company and actually make you know, really great products that people can you know, get behind and use and improve their lives with. And I suppose that is the overall you know, vision of Modius Health. Although specifically right now, you know, we're, we're, we're only looking at the one element, which is you know, trying to help people lose weight. Yeah, and I asked you in person in Delmar here in San Diego, the fun fact about the name Modius, that's this ancient Egyptian art symbolizing fruitfulness or good results. The Modius was worn by certain deities in Roman times and much more. Why did you name it Modius? Well, I, I suppose we were looking at different names and I think any uh, you know entrepreneur will tell you that you know, finding the right name is sometimes very, very difficult. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we were just looking through 
Um, you know, these kind of abstract names, the kind of people sort of like that, they relate to that sometimes in weird ways. And that's what we found with the group studies. But however, we then found out that Modius actually then means this old ancient headdress that you used to literally wear, sort of circular thing that you used to wear on your head as yeah. a symbol of you know, prosperity. I mean, the fit for us was just like, yes, this is perfect. And we just rolled with it. The human connection aspect, Tom, this bridge between tech and humanity, you and I touched on this last year, but there's literally hundreds of millions of views on your content with both Quest and Impact Theory. I'm curious with Modius, the science you learned behind it, it's got to be pretty powerful, man, for you to place your name alongside it. Can you share with us how you made that decision to join forces with Neurovalence uh, and what you're excited about, man? Yeah, so the honest answer is more than the science is compelling, which it is, it was that these guys really understand that sometimes there is a gap between the on paper in the lab science and then the real world results. And that was where all of my concerns were bundled around, like, God, people see the data and then they just see, they get dollar signs in their eyes. And so they march blindly forward to the tune of marketing. Yeah. And that is exactly what I don't want. And the world has changed now with social media where people that do that get relentlessly punished. And I think rightly so. So I wanted to make sure that I was aligning myself with real people that wanted to know if this worked. And if it did, then awesome. They stood to build a big business on the back of it. And if it didn't, they would walk away with their reputations intact because people would see that what they care about is the truth. And so working with them on that just like I said, we stayed in, in very close contact, essentially working together, if I'm honest, for six months with you know a, a handshake on what we were trying to accomplish together and nothing more, and got to see that you know these were the kind of people that I want to be with. And I think the intersection of what's going on in health and technology is, is really exciting because tech, to some extent, and I don't think it's clear yet what that's going to be, but to some extent is, is going to play a major role in health as we move forward. And even if that's just diagnostics, I mean, yeah. we can already see what it's what's changing. AI, I think, is going to play a huge role. Robotics is going to be big. And I think that the just monitoring everything we do is going to become a bigger part of what we do that's going to be really taken for granted as it continues to bear fruit. So seeing that you marry what's happening in the world of technology that's going to make a device like this possible with actual real scientists that aren't just sort of blind, money-hungry entrepreneurs could really result in something magical if we can leverage the power of the crowd to get the data that we need. And so just everything these guys were doing was just in lockstep with leveraging the crowd in a way that's meaningful. I mean, the, I'll just put my finger on one obvious example the money back guarantee, right? For no reason, like it doesn't matter any reason at all whatsoever that you want to do, you can get your money back. And that's people who believe in their product. So things like that. And then before we started rolling, we talked about Jason and I are actually becoming real friends, like, which you'd be shocked at how rare that is for adult males. So it's just yeah. good people and, and getting a chance to explore. And I think that's really the right word, something that on paper just looks so compelling. And Jason will talk about it, but the, the mice study was one of the things that really made me go, God, oh, yeah. man, this, this might actually be something. That blew me away too with the Facebook live launch, because my curiosity was, well, wait a minute, what's the testing for all the people that have that analytical mind that listen to the show? They want to know the hard science. They want to know the data. I think conceptually, we all understand, you know, what this device is, but I'd love Jason, can you paint a picture of exactly what this device is and how it allows people to let go of old weight? To do that, I think you have to set a bit of a a bit of a background as to why weight loss is a struggle. And I mean, that in itself is, you know, a series of podcasts, but I'll, I'll try and condense it down. You know, the, the key area in all of this is very central in your brain. It's called your hypothalamus. It is like a control center. It controls your fat storage, but it, it does that by, you know, maintaining, say, your metabolism and your appetite, and then also all your sort of endocrines and, and your hormone response. Your hypothalamus will have an ideal weight for your body. We call it the set point, uh, but it basically, if, if your brain wants you to be, say, 150 pounds, you will stay there, give or take, maybe like three or four pounds either side. So if you dip a little low, your brain will actually increase your, your appetite and the weight will go up or it'll change your metabolism and you'll not burn so many calories and the weight will go up. And similarly, if it's high, if your body fat's a little high, it'll bring you back down again. 
or it should do, and I really stress it should do, because you just really our sedentary lifestyles or high-calorie diets uh, have pushed that set point up and up and up, okay? And once it goes up, it is very, very difficult to bring it back down again. Mm. And when that happens, your hypothalamus is actually the thing that is making weight loss you know, almost impossible. Now, I say almost impossible. If you were to persist with you know, a real healthy diet and reasonable levels of exercise, you would eventually lose weight, but it would be a struggle. And for people who have struggled with their weight, will understand the plateau. You know, so you, you do well at the start and then you plateau. And then either, you know, you persist and persist and persist and eventually the weight will go down or else, you know, you have one bad weekend and all of a sudden the weight just totally bounces back. That entire process is derived from your hypothalamus wanting you to have a certain amount of body fat. That's the fundamental problem that we are trying to tackle. So there are ways to influence the hypothalamus. The biggest one is probably the vagus nerve. And actually, there's, you know, there are implanted devices that are FDA approved for obesity that stimulate your vagus nerve. So you know, little electrical pulses go into the vagus nerve and then send modified signals to the hypothalamus. What, what happens then is that you actually see a reduction in body fat. But obviously, that's you know, it's highly invasive. It's really risky surgery. And it's very expensive. It's like $30,000 or something. Wow. So our research really was looking at are there other ways to do this? And in particularly, is there a non-invasive way to stimulate the hypothalamus? So, you know, could you put like a little pad on the head or on the neck, whatever? Our attention was drawn to the vestibular nerve. And the reason that we're drawn to the vestibular nerve is that for about 50 years, it sounds sort of crazy, but for like literally 50 years, there's a lot of evidence, like a, a massive amount of evidence that points to the vestibular connection to the hypothalamus, but not just the connection, the fact that that connection influences metabolism. And that's really the key. And whenever we started looking at this, it was just the study that Tom's talking about. Was, there was one in 1972 by NASA. I think it was actually one in 1967 as well, where they basically put mice into centrifuges. And the reason they did that was to look at what happens when, when you change gravity. And the practical implication for this was, you know, for the space race, if you're putting someone up in space and gravity changes, you know, what happens to their body over the period of, you know, weeks and months and even, you know, up to like, I think a year, some of the studies. And they found all the changes that, you know, they were looking for, all these things they wanted to record. But they also noted that all these mice in the hypergravity had got really, really lean, like ridiculously, like 5% body fat, even though their appetites, which initially had fallen, they had actually returned back to normal. So here you have these mice eating exactly the same amount of food, you know, moving the same amount, but exceptionally lean. And for almost 50 years, this was like, it was just assumed to be because of the gravity. So you increase the gravity, you get lean. The assumption was, oh, it's because you're working hard. You know, you're, you're moving twice as hard in the gravity whenever you're walking around because everything feels heavier. So if you do that, you know, you're going to burn off the fat and you're going to be sort of lean. It's a reasonable assumption. So, you know, I, I can understand why that actually has, has lasted so long. But it wasn't until 2002 they replicated these experiments. So exactly the same, but they added in another group of mice. And these mice actually had their vestibular system turned off or knocked out. So the part of the vestibular system that actually sensed the gravity or the movement was turned off. So had the initial decrease in, in fat, you know, 50 years ago been due to the gravity, then there should be no changes in these mice. They should have had exactly the same results, but they didn't. They actually had no change in fat at all. And that for the first time really proved that it was the vestibular stimulation that was causing the decrease in fat. It wasn't the gravity. Wow. It was the fact that, that yeah, it was the fact that these mice were, were having constant vestibular stimulation. And that study actually, you know, they coined this term, the vestibulohypothalamic pathway. As I say, that was really conclusive evidence that your vestibular system actually not only connects to the hypothalamus, but causes metabolic shift. Well, I think for the analytical people, you just blew their hair back. And I'm looking at this hypothalamus <laughs> through the vestibular nerve, which is located on that bony process right behind the ear. Tom, you've been wearing this on Instagram as you're working. What have you noticed personally? You can only speak your truth in this moment. What have you noticed from using Modius? 
So we're in the range right now where I'll call it potential placebo effect. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure that Modius was very comfortable that I would always be the healthy skeptic, we'll call it. So I'm not going to jump up and down yet. I will say this, that um, the first three weeks I used it, they gave me one of their old devices, which kept shutting off. So I was like, guys, this is the exact kind of bullshit that like is going to make people hate this thing. <laughs> me too, like, yeah. please tell me that the the next version of this is, is actually better. So they gave me, um, it actually isn't the release version. It's one that allows me to, if I'm, I'm, I'll say, you know, uh, under condition of anonymity that I have one of their, um, what would you call it, Jason? Like a prototype? Basically, it's the release version with all the FDA restrictions turned off. So I can turn it up as high as I want and leave it on for as long as I want, uh, which now you're speaking my language. And that I've been wearing, and that's what you've seen me wearing in um, social media and stuff, for about three weeks religiously. And for the first time, I sent Jason the text, and I was like, dude, I'm not going to count my chickens until they hatch, but this might actually be real. So... That's where I'm at. I'm at the like, God, I really want to believe that this yeah. is actually going to work. But it's it's too early for me to commit. But for the first time, I felt like I'm having a slightly easier time staying tight. So for anybody that works out, like you'll know what I mean by that. That feeling that like, huh, like normally on a Monday, because I take my calories up on the weekend. I don't cheat, but I take my calories up significantly. So on a Monday, I just feel eh, a little looser than I do say on a Thursday or Friday. Yeah. And I haven't felt that. So is it entirely psychological? Right now it may be. I just, I won't even lie. It is entirely possible that right now all that's happening is a placebo effect, but it's encouraging. So I'll be Ask me that again in six months. Got it. When it, it'll just be at that point, I either have to say, okay, I'm one of the people that get no response because Jason's really level headed about this. He said, look, people get between zero and 16% reduction in body fat. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that, you know, the vast majority of people fall into the zero. Who knows? Maybe more people fall towards 16. Like that's exactly why we want to get a bunch of people into this. Yes. Is to find out like what's the the weighted average. This is what I've loved most about the approach with neurovalians is like, look, we're testing this to see if the efficacy we believe is actually true and it's valid over the long term. And I think when we look at this role of hormones, Jason, leptin, ghrelin, you know, appetite signaling, appetite suppression. One of the talks we had in person was around people becoming more sensitive to insulin. Yeah. We've talked about this on the show with Dr. JT. Can you share with us this increased sensitivity to insulin, how this is going to help us burn sugar? A big player in that that hypothalamus, there are three or four nuclei that contribute to, say, you know, fat storage through appetite and metabolism and then your endocrine system. But the, the biggest sort of player that seems obvious uh, to us, uh, but I don't think a lot of people realize, is that the pathways or the mechanisms for actually increasing and decreasing fat are are entirely separate. It's not just like you turn the volume up and you turn the volume down. There is one actual mechanism for increasing fat and there's one mechanism for decreasing fat. Okay. And believe it or not, it's actually insulin and leptin that act on the decreasing fat side of things. So, you know, people listening will probably think, goodness, you know, you don't want insulin, you know, insulin's associated with type 2 diabetes, and you get insulin resistance, and, you know, like metabolic syndrome's going to follow soon if your insulin increases. Yeah. Uh, that is all true, but in the normal weight person, insulin actually signals to your brain or your central nervous system that you have had a meal or that you've had some food. So it's actually meant to be part of the signal to tell you that you don't need to eat anymore or you don't need to store any more fat. And it's exactly the same for leptin. So one entire side of that, you know, up-down mechanism for, for uh, increasing and decreasing fat, one entire half of that is derived from insulin and leptin. Now, the problem is that if you increase your insulin or leptin for too long a period, you actually desensitize. So what happens then is your brain's not getting the signal for you to say, you know, stop eating basically. So you, you eat a little more, which then increases your insulin, which then causes you to desensitize even further. And actually at some point you've just desensitized so much that your body starts pumping out insulin and leptin. And you're literally swimming in insulin and leptin, trying to tell your brain, you know, de- decrease the appetite or decrease the food intake and decrease the fat storage. But those signals never actually get through to your brain. 
So one half of, of your mechanism to decrease fat has actually just been totally wiped out. But the other half, the half that tells you to eat, remains. So it's getting signals all the time, particularly if you try to diet because you know your, your stomach is empty. So it's sending ghrelin to your, your hypothalamus telling you to eat. So the side that tells you to increase fat is in overdrive. And the side that tells you to decrease fat has totally stopped working. So it is the absolute worst combination you could possibly have. And that is actually one of the reasons why so many people really struggle with, with weight loss. This is powerful. We had Dr. Sylvia Tarr on the show, The Secret Life of Fat. I asked her point blank, can we take leptin? Is this something that we can take from the outside and put on the inside of our body? The answer was no. But what we're talking about is this leptin insensitivity where your body's not sending this signal like, hey, dude, we're full. <laughs> so you're never going to get that message. Yeah. How does this Modius device help with leptin sensitivity? It's actually, if you look at what the hypothalamus does, okay, so the hypothalamus will record everything, every type of feedback that comes into the hypothalamus, okay? So there's feedback from leptin, there's feedback from insulin, there's feedback from ghrelin, there's all these, you know, GI hormones as well. But there's also things like the vagus nerve projects into the hypothalamus. And then also what we are saying is the vestibular nerve taps into the hypothalamus. The, the benefit of what we are doing or the, the theory of what we are doing is you actually have a direct connection into the hypothalamus. So even if you have desensitized to these neuroendocrine responses, you can actually still stimulate that part of the hypothalamus. So you're almost to some degree bypassing all those hormones that have now desensitized. Mm. This uh, obesity epidemic, really, Tom, you have such a heart's mission around this. You actually had family. Do you think this is a fit for them? Oh, man. If it ends up being what we hope it is, then definitively. And one of the things that Jason and I have talked a lot about is, you know, is this the end all be all or is this the beginning of hopefully a much bigger change? And at the end of the day, and I think everybody understands this intuitively, you're not going to put this device on and, you know, a year from now be competing in the Olympia. It just doesn't work like that, right? It's not just going to keep making you leaner and leaner and leaner. Like you're going to get somewhere there, they ballpark it at about 8%, right? So like I said earlier, it's between zero and 16 and the, um, the average that they came at in was 8%. So you've got roughly an 8% jump start. Now, if that's all it ends up being, that would still be such a dramatic head start from where people are now, especially if the mechanism that is at work is what they're hypothesizing, which is that it actually takes that set point. So it's not 8%. And you have to, you know, diet forever to stay at that 8%. It's like, it's resetting your set point 8% lower. Yeah. So now you're just like at a new happier place. If that's the case, dude, my family, maybe more than most would reap some tremendous benefits from getting that virtuous cycle started. And at the end of the day, it needs to be that this isn't. And in fact, Jason and I just did an interview um, earlier today. In fact, where he was saying, look, the, the hope is people don't need this, right? That yeah. they either can just go straight to eating right and exercising and doing all the things that are a part of a healthy lifestyle, or if they need the device to get the jump start, that ultimately they don't, they don't need to continue using it. So that's why when you look at the Modius ecosystem, it really is all about an ecosystem. Like it's changes in all areas of your life and using technology as one part of a much broader change that we hope people will make. And, and I'll certainly say for my family, like even if this changes your set point and it helps you reduce obesity, which has a whole host of pro health benefits, it isn't enough for me to get you here forever, right? So yeah. you're going to have to make other lifestyle changes as well to really optimize for longevity. But if this is that thing that is the catalyst that really jumpstarts the change to do that would be unbelievable. Yeah. So we know this is not Willy Wonka's golden ticket, but it's an integral piece of the wellness ecosystem, which involves eating, moving, sleeping. And also, Tom, what you dive into so much with impact is our thoughts, feelings and actions. We had a question from the wellness force community, kind of a devil's advocate question. And this is a popcorn for either Tom or Jason. I have my opinions about this. I've actually used the device. I'll share. I'm curious uh, how Tom or Jason might speak to the mindset that people believe we've lived for more than 10,000 years without the use of technology. Can one of you speak to this? question that may arise from people being closed-minded to technology empowering human wellness? Ooh, well, I'll take it because it's so fun for me. And I'm, I'm also very <laughs> curious to hear uh, what Jason has to say. 
But so here's how I look at that stuff, man. The world is about to get very, very weird, and I am a filtering mechanism. I am not trying to convince anyone of anything. So I want people to know the realities of what is out there, what's available, and they can either avail themselves of that or not. Now, where do I think technology and human interaction are going? I think inevitably we are going to become some variation of what we currently think of as androids. There is no way with the way that AI is going right now that all of humanity will eschew the optimization that comes with being able to augment the human animal. Mm. And you're going to have to if you want to keep up. That's my view. Now, I've read Fahrenheit 451 and anybody else that's read it, and if you haven't, by the way, spoiler alert, but for anybody that's read that book, society bifurcates into the people that accept a safe society that can no longer read and write and a much more unsafe society, but where ideas are shared freely. So I get it. There's going to be that division where some people are going to be like me, all about augmenting themselves. And then other people are going to you know, be absolutely naturalists and say, you know, never, ever, I'm never going to do anything like that. So I get it. But like, man, to me, I'm, I won't say that I'm an early adopter of this kind of stuff because I think that, and, and I'm sure you have some questions coming along these lines, like people need to really think through like, what are the consequences? Yeah. Like as we implement technology, what's the downside? So I won't be like a first gen adopter of implantable tech, but ultimately I see myself a hundred percent embracing technology and human as an interface. So, so you're not going to be putting anything in your arm like Tim Ferriss. Oh, I will. I just won't be the first <laughs> generation. I'll let <laughs> other people find out like what needs to be made better. So for instance, the first version of the Modius device that they gave me, if that had been implanted, I would be punching Jason in the face right now. <laughs> so, but the upgraded version, right? They get better every generation. So I warn people against adopting things too early, yeah. especially if it's like an implantable. So I'll be a little slow there, but I am very much a techno optimist and discredit me as, as you see fit once you hear that. But I, yeah, I'm just a, a huge believer in where this is all going. Man, thank you for your authenticity. Just so just straight up answers all the time. This is what I've loved in getting to know you and just experiencing impact theory. Jason, your personal story, you lost quite a bit of weight. There's an interview we'll link in our show notes. Tom and yourself sat in his impact theory studio in the living room and you talked about the physical transformation you had from this current stimulation to the vestibular nerve. Can you share with us your own personal story? I think story really paints a picture a lot more times powerfully than science. Yeah, my like I was always convinced <laughs> that I was actually pretty athletic. So, you know, I was coming from the background of playing rugby, you know, at a, at a pretty decent level, probably when I was a bit younger, you know, I was maybe just wasn't carrying as much weight. And I actually saw my weight going up. I was working out in the gym. I had convinced myself that my high BMI was actually muscle, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of one, one of those people whose BMI is really high because they're so ripped. But actually, I never went and did a full body scan. So, you know, the bod pod scans, you actually sort of sit in the little container. I got, like, a, pretty surprising was 21% body fat. I know, I know you could sort of make this into one of those life-changing moments, you know, you just, you know, you realize. But, I mean, genuinely, I was actually surprised and disappointed. Uh, so, I took a real sort of look at what was going on. And I was thinking to myself, goodness, I am getting into such, like, a busy time of my life. I'm flying out to California constantly like airport food there's not time for a gym i'm not exercising regularly like everything you know there's, there's pretty high stress levels so i was actually just thinking goodness this is going to get worse before it gets better but at that time we actually had a prototype so i was just like look i'm going to wear this this is not going back into our lab so i pretty much i would say bar a period of about three weeks it had broken so we had to fix it uh, bar a period of about three weeks i wore that maybe four to five times a week for up to about a year. The purpose was not just to do nothing. It was actually to try and you know come out of this with a bit of a transition in my lifestyle from, as I say, that kind of unhealthy, unhappy, pretty stressful guy through to you know happy activity levels are, are good, my diet's good, and I'm in a much better place from the point of view of weight, but also wellness. Yeah. A year later, did my body scan and my body fat was down to 12%. I actually increased my muscle mass in that as well. And it, it's weird because people are like, oh, but you know, you must have increased your gym and you must have, you know, your diet must have been better. And my answer to that is always, I absolutely did that. 
you know, that is the entire point. It, it is to try and actually help you get to being a better person. And I stress this so much. It is not about just putting a device on your head and losing weight. I think my journey is actually typical of what a lot of people will experience in that, you know, they, they come out of it the other end and actually they are living a really healthy, you know, better lifestyle choices, better diet choices. And that is what is maintaining their now leaner body, not necessarily wearing the headset. It's cumulative. I mean, all these choices we make, whether they're deleterious to our health, whether they're empowering our health. I mean, look, a bathtub, if it fills up with water, at some point, it's going to spill over. So when we look at the way that people are so in fight or flight right now, Tom, you talk about this so much. If people are rest and digest and parasympathetic or if they're in sympathetic, which is primarily that slow, constant drip of stress that so many people experience in this kind of hectic, crazy modern world. How do you think this plugs in to getting people more into that rest and digest, that parasympathetic branch? Do you think that long term, this will give people kind of a deep breath at the right time? Well, now you're asking a really interesting question, and, and I'll play Jason's role for a second and say that the only thing this device is recognized as is a weight loss device. All right. Now, having said that, uh, here's what I find very interesting about where Modius is taking the research. So when Jason and I were first talking and he was explaining how and why this worked, I was like, oh, my God, like if what's really going on is what you say, that it's tapping into the vestibular system, which is really just tracking motion and in tracking motion and essentially replicating for the body what it would mean to be in motion much more. The only other things that I know where motion is the solution is depression and anxiety, right? So if somebody came to me and said, hey, Tom, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, uh, what should I do? The first things out of my mouth would be figure out your microbiome because you almost certainly have an imbalance there and then start exercising. If you've read John Rady's book, Spark, he talks about like all the benefits uh, cognitively, certainly to exercise. There is some link, and I don't know that it's super clear. I certainly haven't encountered enough of the research to to know definitively what it is, but it's just like, that would be like my blanket recommendation. Go exercise more. So if that's also tied to the vestibular system and the movement, then in theory, the device should also help with depression and anxiety. And Jason said, look, anybody looking at the vestibular system, that's exactly the questions they're asking. And so that's where the research is headed right now to answer that question, to see if it also has implications there. And it was one of those where I was so excited because I was, it just makes logical sense, but was also like screaming bullshit. Like there's no way one device you're telling me is not only going to help people lose fat, but it's also going to have implications in anxiety and depression. It's like the, the golden trifecta. There's no way. And this is why I keep coming back to it's a brick, right? It's a brick. This is not like, oh, you're depressed, put on the Modius device and you'll never have a sad thought again. It's never going to work like that. But is it going to, and again, these are questions, nobody has the answer yet, but is it also going to be that thing, that catalyst that helps people get that whatever percentage it is or isn't going to be like that bump where now they're on the right track and it gives them the thing that they need to pull themselves out long enough to start making other choices like looking at their microbiome, like tapping into mindset. And if it does, then woo. Oh, Jason, we talked in person. Our brain, it's so old. This is ancient software. We're overwhelmed, a lot of us, by decision fatigue. I mean, look at why Steve Jobs wore the same clothes every day. We're trying to minimize our decisions every single day. Do you think that just having a 45-minute space blocked out for the Modius every day can essentially be a mode of mindfulness and, on top of that, receive the benefits from this vestibular activation? In other words, is it just time for people to take 45 minutes for themselves? So just to reiterate, <laughs> so yeah, the Modius, the headset is, you know, weight loss and weight management device. So that's what we are indicated for. But, you know, there is this body of evidence, as we've sort of chatted about there, which relates, you know, to cognition, depression, anxiety, stress. Okay. So to answer your question, yes, the, you know, setting aside 45 minutes of your day where you can just, you know, turn off, be that to put Modius on or not. I think will help people to just, you know, switch off from that, you know, fatigue, just mental fatigue of today's stressful lifestyle. I think that will help regardless. But then actually adding in, you know, vestibular stimulation, I actually think will then have another positive effect. And there are some just interesting things that you've probably seen, but you've never really thought why, for example, 
whenever you rock a baby, why does it help a baby get to sleep and why does it settle a baby down? Say someone has maybe like uh, a high level, say, of autism and, you know, they, they like to like rock back and forward, you know, or if something startles like children, you know, they would sort of clasp their hands and they rock back and forward. OK, so why do they do that? And it's actually because they're stimulating their vestibular system. And that then has this knock-on effect where you see anxiety levels coming down and stress levels coming down. And I mean, you can actually test for things like uh, cortisol levels and vestibular stimulation has been shown to decrease stress-related cortisol levels. You're freaking me out right now. But how have you never, like you've never said that to me. That's, uh, (laughs) that is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. The analogy of the baby I'm thinking about, you know, our, our body, it's a movement machine. I mean, it's built to be in motion. This ancient software was built in with a kind of barometer for that. And, and that really is the vestibular system. This vagal tone, though, Jason, can you talk about that a little bit? People have heard of vagus and the vagal nerve, but what does that actually do for us? How's that connected to the vestibular system? This actually relates even to just what I was saying. The, the other thing is, Tom saying that, you know, we had talked about the applications and, you know, they're pretty wide applications, you know, the difference between, say, uh, a weight loss device and a depression device. But actually, both of those indications currently exist for vagus nerve stimulators. So you can actually get a vagus nerve stimulator now that is an FDA-approved treatment for obesity. You can also get a vagus nerve stimulator that is an FDA-approved treatment for epilepsy. You can also get a, I'm not sure if it's FDA-approved, but I know there is worked on depression devices for vagus nerve stimulators. And now they're also looking at things like chronic pain through vagus nerve stimulators. So, you know, you, you have to sort of draw the parallels as to you know what, what is going on here. And the vagus nerve projects into deep area in the brainstem it is one of only 10 nerves that actually you know, does that. What you're doing is stimulating that nerve. You go through the brainstem. It's a bit like a kind of relay, uh, and then it sends it to other areas of the brain. Now, no one really questions that the vagus nerve can do that. But the parallel here is that the vestibular nerve does almost exactly the same thing. So as it enters the brainstem, it pretty much joins into the same pathways that the vagus nerve does. So what I often say is a kind of you know quirky remark is no matter what the vagus can do, the vestibular can do just as well. So effectively, what we're saying is we have found a way to cause this same type of brainstem stimulation, but actually we can do it non-invasively. And obviously, that is the big thing for us. This is so fascinating and just personally, you know, my experience, I've been using it before bed. So I've got to use the device over the past three weeks now. And to me, it just feels like I've gotten out of a float tank or I've finished a workout. You know, that runner's high when you get, when you're finished with a workout and you're all sweaty, that's kind of how I feel after the 45 and I just go to sleep. So I haven't actually noticed any kind of weight loss for myself yet. That's to be determined, but that's my benefit. Are people talking about the sleep aspect when you get that quality, deeper sleep? I'm also using the aura ring to track this. So I'm a huge quantified self guy, as I know both you gentlemen are. Can you talk to me about this sleep aspect? I know it's not the primary benefit, but I've heard this talked about in some of the circles that sleep can be a benefit of this vestibular activation. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to just ask Tom because uh, I think Tom would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I know where you're going because yes, it's had a relatively dramatic impact on my sleep. But I'm not happy about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Have you done any tracking, Tom? Have you quantified it at all? I haven't, no. And actually, since you were here and talking about that, it made me like think, you know, I should do this and actually get a number on, A, just how much I sleep. Uh, and I wish I had started before I started using the device because my gut instinct is it's added at least an hour to my nightly average. That's powerful in the wrong direction from my perspective. <laughs> like if I had something that that lessened the amount of time that I slept, I'd be a happy camper. <laughs> but yeah, if somebody's struggling, like it would be it would be fascinating. And Jason, you've said that that's like the no-brainer. Pretty much people start talking about that at like week two, week three. I would say that is the first thing that people come back and it's really a positive sign that we let people trial the device, you know, see what you think about it. Do you want to use it in the morning or do you want to use it at night? Uh, yeah. We find that everyone starts using it at night And everyone comes back and says, you know, my sleep has just really, really improved. Another devil's advocate question that came up and actually conversations here with a pretty primary influencer in health and wellness. I promised I wouldn't say her name, but she asked me directly, (laughs) hold on, won't I become dependent on this device? 
no, no. So the the way that it actually works, it's it's not like this kind of a thing that sort of, as Tom said earlier, it doesn't just make you leaner and leaner and leaner and leaner. Okay, it actually stimulates or activates a part of your brain, which is an entirely normal process. It is a physiologically normal process. Okay, it doesn't go beyond what your brain can handle. It's actually just the same as. Like really as running, it's so parallel to that that part of your brain is just activated by constant physical activity. Same question could apply to something like exercise. And I mean, obviously, you do find that people do want to do it and enjoy it, but it, it doesn't become this sort of dependent thing that people need. Yeah, I feel like exercise is something I need every day. I mean, if I don't get my 20 minutes at least of walking or sweating or something, I get anxiety more increased, right? So I feel like a little more jittery. When we look at the lifestyle modifications in tune with using this device, what are the other things that we need to focus on? I mean, we obviously need to focus on our sleep, our breathing, our food, our nutrients, our water. Is there anything else that you've seen in combination with Modius that's really helped people shed the extra weight? I would just stress again how complicated weight loss is. I mean, it is tricky. <laughs> so, you know, not only do you have your own, say, stressful life, you have your comorbidities, you have all your medications, you have your genetics, your epigenetics, you have all these unpredicted things that just appear out of nowhere that, that affect your weight. You know, you have all of that to try and actually manage in some way, then on, on top of that, try and actually you know, reduce your body fat. And I just think like all of that actually has to be in tune to, to be successful. And that, that is a big part of what we want to do with Modius. And I stress this and I say it so much. It is not just about a headset that helps you lose weight. We want to transition people from unhealthy, unhappy people with a poor sense of wellness right through to this, you, you know, leaner, happier, really well-rounded, healthy individual. So to, to answer your question, all of those things need to, you need to be conscious of all of those things yeah. to actually, you know, get where you want to go. You mentioned a key word, conscious. And I think as this becomes more self-aware through our tracking or through people just becoming more mindful, I see Modius in that kind of dream ecosystem, which I'll ask you this question later about this on a dashboard. There's so many things that we can get from people, their biosignatures, their biomarkers. When we look at this one piece, though, it's becoming more self-aware. I mean, do you feel like in the future, whether we have devices embedded in our skin or not, that everyone will have to be more aware of how they're showing up because technology will increase so much? For me, anyway, you know, it, it comes down to this change even over the last, say, 50 years. So, you know, the nervous system is a very physical thing. The body is a very physical thing. But your mind, you know, is kind of some, you know, far off kind of ill-defined thing, this sort of sense of consciousness. And that's why we have these disciplines in, in medicine. So, you know, one is neurology for the physical component, the neurons and the nervous system. And one is psychiatry, which is for your mind. And the, these used to be two very separate things. And you could influence one, but, you know, your mind, it was just, you know, you just made the choice or you didn't. It was nothing to do with, they, they weren't related almost. But actually, that is just nonsense. And we know that those two things are, are in fact, you know, almost one. The influence of the nervous system on the mind and the influence of the mind on the nervous system and then the rest of the body is, is just profound. So, no, I think you're absolutely, awareness of that and awareness of the body, of the nervous system, of the mind, I think that is absolutely crucial going forward. Ooh, now you're speaking my language because we always explore this physical and emotional intelligence on the show, but you brought in the third and kind of secret component, which is consciousness. This is the last round of the show, guys. This has been such a fun conversation. Tom, the first question is for you. I'm going to ask seven in a row. I look at these content pieces you put out. You're a machine, man. I don't know how you do it, but I'm consistently blown away. You mentioned on episode 98 that you see your wellness as a 360 view of the body and the mind. Can you share with us, how do you connect the body and mind to stay grounded in this always digitally connected world? That's a big question, and I'll, I'll give you as succinct as I can. So one, I think really acknowledging that the body and the mind are physically connected. And this is actually something that I've gotten a much deeper understanding from Jason. The number of nerves that uh, depart from the brain, go out into the body, and the amount of feedback that go back up those nerves into the brain, uh, the fact that you have the number of neurons in your enteric system, so your digestive tract that a uh, cat has in its entire brain, I mean, it, it, it's really fascinating. And then looking at the human being as a super organism where it, it's not just you, like you've got all this bacteria and viruses and fungi, like all of that's supposed to be 
in your body, but it needs to be functioning in a certain way. So just having a, a much more holistic understanding of the body brain connection and that the mind, you know, as Jason was saying, is rooted in that. So I do things like paying attention to what I eat, exercising for cognitive impact and meditating both for the the body wellness aspect as well as the mind. Yeah. Cognitive impact. Tell us just a, a little bit about that. What you mean by exercise for cognition? So reading John Rady's book, Spark, which I mentioned earlier, really made it clear to me that people perform better on cognitive tests. So they make the parallel, take whatever your hardest classes, they were talking about high school students. So if that's calculus, if that's the thing you struggle with the most. If you do PE where it's all based on heart rate, so not like what I grew up with, where you sort of stood in the corner and avoided exercise at all costs, like where your grade is based on how close to your maximum heart rate you spend the majority of the class. So if you did that kind of physical exercise before your hardest class, it was something like 30 or 40 percent better on tests, on everything. It was just unbelievable the level of impact. So there's something going on when you stimulate the body, when you're keeping yourself in peak physical condition that actually allows your brain to process data more efficiently so that just truly on a test of cognitive ability, you do better. Man, that is such a powerful answer. We will definitely link the books you've mentioned on the show in our show notes at wellnessforce.com slash 130. Jason, I had the pleasure of connecting with you in person. It seemed like it was a five-minute conversation, but it happened to be almost two hours here in San Diego. Yeah. You shared with me so authentically about this gift of perspective that you received in working in the emergency room department for many years, seeing so many people that left our planet having to have those difficult conversations with their families. Can you share with us how you believe the tools of perspective and gratitude are an essential part of our wellness. I mean, this is something that is really close to me. So, you know, I started off in, in medicine and I always say this, you know, I, I genuinely get into medicine to help people. And I don't really know the direction maybe when I started, or I didn't know the direction when I started, but I, I ended up really just loving being or working in the ER. You know, as some people would say, say to me here, you, you know, you've stepped out of this, you, you've set up a business, you're an entrepreneur, you know, you're traveling all the time, you must be stressed and everything. And I mean, like, yes, I, I am stressed, but you really have to put it into perspective. And, you know, I've had some what you would call stressful situations uh, in the ER. I mean, like, like literally life or death or I mean, some that spring to mind are maybe someone has come in and it is life or death. And, you know, you're trying for a long, long time. And unfortunately, you know, you, you just know they're not going to make it. And you're going to that person's family. And bringing them in and saying, look, you know, you need to say goodbye. And in a few minutes, you know, I'm going to ask you to step outside again. And then as a team, you know, we would we make the call um, to, to stop. That is a life changing situation, obviously, for everyone. But it, it's also in many ways a life changing situation for me because it just changes perspective on everything else that you do. And, you know, having been through that many times. Yes, I get stressed with, you know, you know, starting a business and you know, traveling back and forth to, to California. It is different. And it, I would say to anyone, you know, who is in the same situation and who is stressed, you know, just really, really get, you know, some perspective and it will be all right. It'll be fine uh, because there are definitely there are worse things uh, going on that thankfully, you know, hopefully they haven't experienced. The gift of perspective. Do you feel like that fueled how you created Modius? It absolutely has. I mean, uh, again, I'm sort of repeating myself to some degree, but the, the idea is to get someone from an unhappy, unhealthy person right through to, you know, a happy, healthy person. Yeah. And, you know, just my own story, those experiences I have, it has totally just changed my perspective. And I want people to understand that and have that for themselves so that they can then look back after their journey or, or, you know, when they're in a real positive place and look back and say, yes, you know, this has changed things for me. Tom, from interviewing Peter Diamandis, who's become a close friend to you, can you share with our audience something you possibly haven't talked about in depth in regards to technology and increasing human longevity or human performance? What's fascinating you in that arena right now? What I'm really intrigued by, especially as it relates to Peter, is what they're doing at Human Longevity Inc., where they're trying to take a 100% individualized approach looking at not only genetics, but ultimately epigenetics. So if you look at what's going on in DNA, people looked at um, human DNA and said, we only have 20,000 genes. Like, how's that possible? There's some onions that have like 40,000 genes. So are we saying that 
onions are more biologically complicated than humans. Like it, people just couldn't get their heads around it. <laughs> but the whole time they're saying that they're saying, well, yeah. So there's this huge mass of junk DNA that we have it doesn't really do anything. And I remember hearing that like 10 years ago and going, man, I promise we just don't understand it yet. There's no way that it's just junk and that it's meaningless. And of course, now what they're realizing is those are all the things that epigenetically, so your environment, your lifestyle, then tell your genes exactly to what degree to express themselves. And that's where the like human ability to adapt is born. So if you look at humans, and I don't know this is true, but I'm going to guess just sort of based on my layman's understanding of all this, that we have more quote unquote junk DNA than anybody else, because humans are able to adapt to a more diverse environment than any other animal, right? You can find us anywhere on the planet from uh, living in the Arctic Circle to being able to build base camps in, you know, literally Antarctica. It's And the desert, like we, you find us everywhere. So, and some of those places require not even necessarily a mind adjustment, which you could, you know, argue that's how we thrive in the Arctic. But actually there was a woman who swam the Bering Strait. And to do that, she had to like put herself in cold situations all the time. She slept with the window open and I don't remember where, but let's pretend it was Alaska or something like that. So, I mean, she's sleeping in ridiculously cold places with the window open, taking cold showers. And what she's doing is gaining more brown fat. She's getting to the point where she's got more thermogenic fat and the body's going through an adaptation process. So looking at that stuff and really saying to what degree are certain genes actually expressing themselves like that and nutrigenomics doing the same sort of detailed analysis at yeah. the level of your microbiome and how you respond to given foods and that kind of highly individualized way of looking at medicine, I think is, is really going to be one of the keys to longevity. So that I'm obsessed with the microbiome right now. Well, I am also obsessed with that and I've studied CRISPR for a while and I am just so curious what's going to happen with CRISPR. We'll link that in the show notes. That could be an entire podcast on its own. Jason, if you had this capability, this is the question I've been really excited to ask you and money was not an option as a neuroscientist. What would that dream dashboard look like for you? to create what you believe could affect millions of people's health for the long term. In other words, if you could gather any data point, any biomarker for physical activity, sleep, or anything else that the human body can be measured by, what kind of quantified self or data-driven dashboard would you create? I'm sort of like scrolling through the choices in my head here. Uh, I, I think it would definitely relate to finding out why not only some people do live long, uh, but also live long, healthy lives, both mentally and physically. So, you know, they're obviously you know, this whole idea of longevity. So if you had genetic markers or epigenetic markers that so not only live longer, but protect you against the, the neurodegenerative diseases and protect your actual physical body of aging, uh, that for me, that would be the sort of, you know, real gold star of, of what I'd be interested in. Jason, what is one quality that you believe has made you successful as an entrepreneur weathering the storm? It's just that perspective. Uh, you know, I, I know every entrepreneur goes through different journeys, uh, but mine's is definitely just that my perspective in life, having been through all those situations, just has changed me. And I really just believe that, you know, you can you can do it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's sort of trite as that sounds, but it, it is it is true. Tom, yourself? Ooh, man, I, I'm going to go with persistence on this one. Like just understanding that at the end of the day, it's putting in the work, it's failing, it's getting up learning, getting better, continuing. I, I just don't have a vision of myself as being born with anything. So I have this view of having to get good at whatever you want to do. And because of that, my initial reaction to anything, failure, desire, all of it is more work, learn more, get better. Jason, what's wellness to you? This is our last question and really one that I think is the most important because all these technologies, all these devices and everything that we do, they just add a complement to what we really believe is possible in wellness. How would you define wellness? I'm going to use your answer from uh, whenever we chatted uh, in, in Del Mar that day because that really struck a chord with me uh, in that, you know, it's your sleep, it's your mind and your, and your physical activity. You know, so certainly if you look at the body as a machine and you really want to optimize that machine, those are the three things that you need to have really working well. And just if anybody's having a little bit of doubt or just if someone's curious, Tom, what would you say to them if they're spilling that spark of curiosity? They want to check out Modius. They're interested in this piece that can give them that self-awareness. What do you let them know? 
Well, as it relates to Modius, I think that walking into anything with skepticism, making your own decision is always, always the wise answer. And being closed off to something working just sort of as a general principle is maybe not the best way to approach life. But I'm going into this with skepticism and I'm involved with a company. So um, I certainly don't have any problem with people doing that. And I think that the data is going to speak for itself and this is either going to be real or it's not. That's where this is all going to come out in the wash. So I welcome people that want to jump in with us. I welcome people that want to watch from the sidelines and see what's going on. Uh, because we are on a quest for truth and nothing more. The website is modiushealth.com. You can get the show notes with all the links and videos and extras at wellnessforce.com forward slash 130. Tom, Jason, thanks so much for what you guys are doing in wellness. You know, we explore this physical and emotional intersection with the use of technology on the show quite a bit. So I think today was one of my favorite conversations. Really appreciate what both of you are doing to drive the needle for health. Thanks, man. And and before we go, I have to say you were insanely prepared for this interview and I am very grateful. This is what I do, right? And this is what I enjoy. So I received that and thank you, Tom. Absolutely. Hey, my friend, thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show. Remember to hit subscribe, share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message. Support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now, simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iPhone. Click that purple link that says review this podcast. It helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you, and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show. So let them hear your voice. For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force community newsletter on that page, and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone, and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group, and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.